0: Everyone, welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here,
1: everybody. I want to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt.
0: Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are
1: you? Well, Matt, today is an interesting episode. Um, the, the person that we have for our guest, I, I can't wait till we get into the stories, the backstories with her, but, um, you know, the movie, she has a new movie that we're going to be talking about, and... That also is very interesting to me. Um, It kind of is the opposite of, um, well, I I would say the opposite of uh, an article I sent you, which I hear you did not read yet. Uh, Um, Not yet, no. (laughs) No, well, you know, not everyone gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning (laughs) to read the things I send them, but...
0: It's not high um, on my list at 2 a.m., but... (laughs)
1: <laughs> you never know yeah well so this um, is like I guess a tradition or cultural thing in Sweden that's probably perhaps catching on in some ways um, I mean I call it kind of um, minimalist living but um, for, for their culture it seemed like it was people at a certain point in life Uh, age 65 which I found like frightening since we're like not 65 but you know it's getting closer um but they start giving (laughs) away items um it's like planning for death Uh, so they start you know at that (laughs) that age um and 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 they get rid of things and you could keep like one box of things for yourself Um, (laughs) yeah I mean I know can you imagine like at one box it would be like i don't know they don't even make a box big enough for the things i would want to keep which is part of my problem yeah Hmm. but they you know it's like anything of value they suggest giving away to someone that you would want to have it and that wants it um because otherwise i mean think of the things you own you you end up with all these things that when you die like they don't really have meaning to other people
0: right yeah nobody wants my old you know razor cell phone or whatever
1: Well, I do, because, you know, I would go through it then, and I'd, like, know <laughs> all that, you know, everything. It'd be like reading your mind in a way. Sure. Um, and then I'd be like, oh, I can't text Matt anymore, or whatever. But, um, <laughs> anyways, I mean, it's fascinating to think about just things that we keep. And so, in this movie, um, the characters are kind of like that, Um and we're, we're going to talk about, you know, um, without giving away any spoilers, but we'll we'll talk about that aspect of, you know, what you might leave behind that, that could um, be important and um, how some people, unless it has monetary value, they're not going to want to deal with any of your stuff when you die. Right,
2: yeah. Um,
1: you know, not the sentimental stuff, but then other people might. So that's kind of something that stood out to me in the movie and that we're going to talk about that. But uh, I think we should introduce our guest and uh, we're just going to have so many interesting topics today.
0: All right.
1: All right. Today we have with us an actress who uh, has been in Sons of Anarchy, Anger Management, and um, of our lives. So, you know, that's quite um, a wide variety of roles there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a multi talented person that we have with us today. So, Kristen Renton, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We're so happy to have you as a guest today. Well, thank you for
3: having me. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. And your intro just got me thinking all kinds of things. Just, <laughs> oh
1: man. Well wait, <laughs> so you'll be thinking all kinds more before this is over. <laughs> you well,
3: I'm thing excited. Thing.
1: Well, I find you fascinating Um, just in the, you know, when I was preparing for this interview, I was like, this is a person that, you know, I really want this interview. I really want to find out these things because uh, besides being an actress, and we're going to talk about um, the movie that you have, The Crickets Dance, which is, um, I guess it's out now, right? It just came out.
3: Yes, yes. It was released this week. Um, and it's on all uh all platforms, uh, streaming, um, and Apple T V, all of all of the good stuff that you can go and, and digitally download. Get rid of your clutter, you don't gotta buy the D V D anymore.
1: <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> Perfect already. Fitting
1: right into this um, you know, this preparing for death. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But um, you know, besides besides this interesting life that you have as an actress, I, I found that there's a lot in your backstory as passions. That's what stuck out to me is that you seem to be very passionate about certain things. So I pulled some of the things that um, I found interesting. Of course, there were there were more than we can talk about in this episode, but. Um, you know, I guess the first place to start would be, I, I saw that your dad was in the Air Force, mm-hmm. so um, you, you, I'm assuming, probably moved around quite a bit as when you were younger? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. We did both for
3: his Air Force job and his civilian job. He's a civil engineer as well. So um, I was actually born in Denver when they were uh, stationed in Denver, and then Orlando, Louisville and then the Tampa Bay area and by the time we got to Tampa prior to me being born my parents had already moved something like 30 times I don't even know uh, some astronomical amount of times and um, by the time we got to Tampa my mom's like I'm done you move again you're gonna move without me you you can do that (laughs) but I'm not going anywhere so they have now been in Tampa for a little over 30 years Um, and then I left Tampa went to Los Angeles I spent some time filming in Vancouver and now I'm living in New Orleans. So Yeah. <laughs>
2: wow.
1: So how did um how did that play into your um your acting? I mean, moving from place to place, did that offer you like new opportunities or were some places more um I, I guess did you have more opportunities in some places or, or did you not have any because you were always moving?
3: Well, I actually, I, growing up, I didn't get into the entertainment business until I was about 16 and a half, 17, somewhere around there. Um, when I was younger and we were doing all of our moving, um, you know, I was still in school and and I always thought I was going to grow up to be a marine biologist. That was really where my head was and, and kind of what I wanted to do. When I was really, really little, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. And then I realized that dolphins should not be kept in captivity and that went out the window. <laughs> uh, so... I was like, I want to be a marine biologist. And and I truly thought, I mean, up until I entered high school, that that was really what I was going to do. And um, my, it's funny how, you know, you have plans and then the universe has other plans for you. And, um, and so I ended up finding my way out to Los Angeles and I guess the rest is history, as they say. Um. So,
1: so what was it about acting that, Pulled you
3: away from marine biology. My uh, my older sister uh, is she was a model. She's five eleven and like you turn sideways and you can't see her anymore. Thin, right? And uh, she had some real good success with modeling and I'm three and a half years younger than her. And so my parents were kind of like, Oh, well, let's get Kristen into that too. And I, that didn't really appeal to me, but I was going to, you know, the classes and stuff. I was more of a sports girl. Um, but my parents put me into, um, some of the modeling classes my sister was doing. And I'm not entirely sure why they did that other than just you know, she was my big sister. So maybe we should do the same thing. I, I don't know. I definitely was not passionate about it. I can tell you that. Um, but uh, once I got into it, one of the the owners of the school that we were at, um, he basically pulled my mom aside and said, you know, I really see something special in your, your daughter. Uh, we've got an agent coming in from L.A. Would you be willing to come to this what we call a cattle call? Um, you know, it's, it's tomorrow night and uh, we, we really, really want you to meet him. And um, my mom was like, OK, cool. I had taken a couple of improv classes, but that was mainly just so I could speak on camera. I was doing a lot of local stuff like, you know, modeling at the mall and fashion shows at department stores and stuff. And so it was it was more just so I could learn to speak on camera and not be camera shy. Um, but I really loved the improv. And I was like, OK, well, I'll go meet this agent. I you know, I was 16. I had a boyfriend. The only thing I cared about was going to see him on Friday nights and sleeping in on weekends. I mean, I cared about nothing. Um, so I, uh, I went to this cattle call and there was like 350 kids showed up. And, uh, out of all of those kids, I was one of three that this agent asked to come to LA. And, um, my mom was like, you know, we got home that night. My mom was all excited and I had no idea what that meant. I was clueless. I was like, okay, (laughs) okay. And, uh, and, you know, we sat down and we talked about it. And, of course, I didn't want to leave my boyfriend. I didn't want to leave my friends. I didn't want to leave my school. I didn't I didn't want to go to this foreign place with, where I didn't know anybody and all this stuff. But my parents, they said, look, it's your decision. You know, this, this could be a really cool thing for you. You may get out there and hate it. You may get out there and love it. Who knows? Um, but they said, we just don't want you to look back on this and say, what if? And that really, that moment right there, I will never forget. It really resonated with me because... My grandmother had always said, you know, have no regrets. And so for me, I was like, wow, I, you know what? I'll try it. And if I hate it, my parents were like, we'll come home. It's all good. So uh, we packed up the car and my mom went out with me. Um, For the first few months, I ended up booking a a commercial for nationwide insurance. And from that moment on, I was absolutely hooked. Wow. Uh, So... Had you not had the type
1: parents to Mm, exactly inspire that, you know, you have the choice and it would click with you, no regrets. um,
3: You might've had a whole different course. um, Absolutely. And, and I know that, and I, and I am thankful for them uh, every day. I've brought them to, you know, as many premieres as I can and as many events as I can. And um, when I ended up getting on Sons of Anarchy, the, the newspaper and the local news came and shot my parents while they were watching me in their house and they're just like this is not what we signed up for okay <laughs> <laughs> but i think they have fun with it
1: well um you know so one of the passions that i pulled out um and i think this would be a good lead into it um was your dad and um that you got your motorcycle license just so you could go riding with him and, um, that really, I don't know, that really was heartwarming to me because I was very close with my dad as well. And, um, then, um, that you actually got to do a scene writing, um, at the end of the movie with him.
2: hmm
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, so, so what did that feel like to have that moment captured on film, um,
3: That, that story in and of itself is really, really interesting. I had gotten, um, my license back in 2010, I believe 2011, somewhere around there and got to go riding with my dad around our little area in Florida. And I mean, it was so much fun and I really wanted to continue to do that. So when he would come visit me in California, we'd go to the Harley dealership and see, you know, if they had a bike that would work for me that I could rent and, and whatnot. Um, but then some time went by and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't written in a while and I was like, man, I really need to do a refresher. And um, I ended up getting this phone call from my dad one day and he said, so I ran into a friend of mine. His name is Bob. I ran into Bob and he was telling me about how he's producing this movie with his wife who wants to star in it. And they had a meeting at Universal uh, the other day and the director that they brought on to direct this film they were going over the cast, and the person that he had chosen to play Rita was you. And they're sitting in this meeting, and Bob looks at at the director by the name of Thomas and said, wait a minute, Renton, I know her. I, I've worked with her dad for 30 years. And it was very bizarre because <laughs> they're in aviation. They are not in anything productionized. Wow. So." he calls my dad, my dad calls me. And I was like, yeah, I'll absolutely take a meeting. Like, let's do this. Well, we went and met for dinner at one of my favorite diners. And I signed on to do the film. And uh, turns out, they wanted to shoot some of it in Tampa. So we shot half of it in Los Angeles and half of it in Tampa. So the stuff that we shot in Tampa happened to be a lot of the motorcycle stuff. So I, you know, of course, I was like, Dad, you got to be in it with me, you have to be in it with me. This is just it, it. The circumstances surrounding that moment were just too absolutely extraordinary that it just it was just too perfect. So uh he agreed to do it. So um at the end of the film there's me and there's my dad just riding along off into the sunset. And uh it was it was really, really awesome. Um I had I had gotten my parents into a couple of projects that I had done before, um, just as extras or you know walking through a scene or whatever it may be. But this was this was much more poignant, much more, um, powerful. It, it, it meant far more to me to be able to have that and I'll have that forever. You know, I'll always be able to go back and watch my dad and I riding together. So that's just so special to me.
1: Yes. And I I mean, I can't imagine. And I I think like one of the things we talked about is things of value, you know, that are not necessarily monetarily, um, Mm -hmm. uh, valuable, but
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you you to me, that's like a treasure. Um, I mean, you, you'll you'll always have that like long after you're
3: dead. Uh, absolutely. I mean, and let's be real, this was an independent film. I made no money on this film. I literally <laughs> did not make any money on this film. But it was it was because of that that made everything else worth it. That uh, to me is is far more. I mean, that made me richer than anything else could have ever.
1: Well, I, I completely can understand that um, because as I say, I I was, that's just how I felt with my dad and I wish we had had a moment like that captured on video because when you don't have the,
2: mm-hmm. you, know, you
1: don't have them anymore, like you can't make any of those new memories or you don't have, if you don't have something to look back on like that, then you know, you just have your memory, but it's nice. And especially, you know, in the future, future generations of your family will always be able to know you even um, through and and your dad through that scene. So that was very touching
3: to me. And that's a great backstory. I had no idea all of that went into it. Um, It was very strange, but very meant to be, you know, sometimes it's, just like how I ended up out in LA, sometimes the universe just has a plan for you and it, it just comes together and it's far more beautiful than you ever could have imagined.
1: Well, I, I another passion that I put down was your love of animals. Um, it seems that you are uh, one of the people that um, sees the, the pure hearts of animals and, and, mm-hmm that you definitely go out of your way to try to help uh one thing that stuck out to me was a road trip to Vancouver yeah
3: so oh. could you tell a that backstory that was very interesting to me yes oh that that to this day is still one of my favorite stories um in I mean I've had so many where oh, gosh the animals just touch your heart and and Oh, but these guys. So I was working with Boxer Rescue Los Angeles. Um, I had adopted and fostered uh, many animals out of that uh, rescue organization. I'd worked very closely with them for years, and um, they had a, a, a rescue, another rescue that they worked with called Tazzy Fund. And it's so funny. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but my dad literally just texted me and said, "Hey, can you talk now? I don't want to interrupt your interview." <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm like I'm actually Fair talking dad. about you can be on here with <laughs> I was like I'm actually talking about you in my interview right now. So, oh, so I'll, I'll get there back you. to you. <laughs> His ears must have been ringing. Um, but uh, <laughs> we we worked with a, a sister rescue called Tazzy Fund, and um, there had been uh, brought to our attention that there was a boxer family. It was a mom and dad and then two two dogs. Um, that were living in this person's backyard, and it was a fully concrete backyard. I believe it had a pool. I'm not sure. Um, but the guy would feed them a loaf of Wonder Bread a day. That was their diet. Um, ever since he had had these animals, uh, and and you know, I, I don't believe that wow. there was any. Sh- yeah, I don't believe there was any shelter. I believe the the we called him Papa, the the father. He was about seven, which in boxer years that's getting up there. Um, um, and uh, and the the mom was about six, and then the the two younger ones I think were about four, uh, four or five. So um, I'm not entirely sure about the story on how we actually were able to rescue them and and get them to our facility, but we were. And the two younger dogs were adopted out uh, fairly quickly. The two seniors, you know, we call them seniors, and and they're always they're so special and so near and dear to my heart. I love the senior dogs. Um I love all senior animals. They're just they deserve to just live out the rest of their lives on a couch somewhere in front of a fire, you know, with food being delivered to them. It's just that's how I feel their life should be. Hmm. But um it's it's always hard to get seniors adopted because, you know, along with all of that love comes medical issues and a lot of people don't want to spend the money on on medical issues. So we actually had a, a sister rescue um, box. I believe it's just about borders, but it's, it's up in uh, Vancouver. And they had two people that said, Oh, we, we will absolutely take these animals. So we needed to be able to transport them. I'm not a fan of flying animals in cargo holds. I, I, I don't like it. I don't approve of it. I know sometimes that's the only way to do it. And I understand that, but if there's any way around it, I would rather do that. So I have a, a very close friend of mine, they call us Thelma Louise, because my middle name is actually Louise. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, you know, the the rescue called us up and said, hey, would you guys be willing to transport? Because we would do stuff together for the animals all the time. We would volunteer every Sunday. We would take dogs for hikes and stuff. And we looked at each other. We're like, absolutely. I had, um, I was just getting over a, a really bad knee injury. So um, I was, you know, not being, I wasn't able to work at, the, at that moment. It was actually perfect timing. Um, so we loaded up the dogs in, in the car, and uh, I think it would t- we could only, we made it all the way to, uh, we stopped in Northern California and then went from Northern California all the way to Vancouver the next day. And then we took our time kind of coming back. But um, both Mama and Papa, they lived out the rest of their lives up in Vancouver, spoiled rotten. Uh, they went to separate homes. Um, but they did, I do believe they did meet up every now and then to see each other. Uh, they both, they both had their own sofas. And I'm I'm not kidding, like those doggy sofas. They had their <laughs> own sofas um, in front of the fireplace. You know, they ate steak. Uh, they went camping. They got to go out by the river. They would go out on the boat. I mean, they had the life for the rest of their years. They lived out their lives very, very spoiled. And that to me, I mean, that means so much more to me than you know any red carpet that I've ever done you know just just being able to see the 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 life change that these animals had and and to be able to be spoiled like that until until their final day I mean that's that's how it should be and um that to me is still one of my my favorite trips absolutely that's an amazing
1: story um just so this love of animals, because you you mentioned marine biology and then the dolphins and how you come to see that as you didn't feel like they should be, in, um, you know,
3: enclosed. Um, so you've
1: always had a love of animals, it seems.
3: I have, and you know, I don't remember a specific moment or or pivotal experience to where that brought me to such a deep love of animals. Um, I know that, that both my, my, my mom and my dad have always, you know, had pets growing up and always loved animals. I know my dad used to uh, ride horses and he had dogs growing up. My mom had cats growing up and she had a dog as well. And um, so I think it was just something that was always around. Um, And, and I think I was just born with just a massive love of animals. I, 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 have to say, I mean, there's a lot of times they're better than a lot of humans. I'm not going to lie.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> there are, there are some horrible humans out there, but no animal will be, <laughs> you know, is going to ever, you know, yell at you in a store or whatever. They just look at you like, I want to love you. What, what do I need to do? You know? So, hey, you're so home. How many... <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> How many animals do you have now? Oh, that's a fun story. So um, I had uh, my baby Roxy. She was my service animal. She passed away um, a few years back. And uh, I still have my kitty uh, from when I lived in California. Her name is Charlie. I I, I named her after my grandfather. Uh, I'm never having children, so my, my fur babies are, are my kids. And um, so I named her after my grandfather. And she actually is special needs she was born with malformed eyelids and so her eyelashes grew into her eyeballs which was very painful for her and so i had to get i adopted her and and i had to get um all of her eyelashes uh frozen off like there's a procedure that they do yeah very strange but then um because of her her birth defect um there's also uh other things that go on with her eyes so she's she's completely blind in one eye now and losing sight in the other one but she's spoiled rotten as she should be. And she just wanders around cute as can be. Um, And Mm -hmm. then uh, with my, my boyfriend, um, when we got together, I inherited a goofy pit bull by the name. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Paulo, And uh, he's just, he's a, he's a big fat boy. I love him very much. And then in um, February, we just adopted together a, uh, a rescue uh, named Dax. He, um, We think he's a great Dane, Roddy mix. Uh, We're not entirely sure, but that's he's definitely Roddy. We just don't know what he's mixed with, but he's got the same uh, goofy tail as a great Dane and like the same goofy mannerisms. So we're thinking that's what he is. Um, And uh, he actually had been uh, adopted, abused. The uh, rescue organization had to go take him back he got adopted out again and then they did a welfare check on him and found out that he was tied to the porch with no food or water and he was about 40 pounds underweight so they took him back again and at this point they labeled him um basically aggressive difficult to be adopted and uh my boyfriend specializes in taking the knuckleheads and helping them um turn a page and and get adopted so he took one look at this dog and was like he's not aggressive and he came home and we have been one happy family ever since Aww. i i
0: assume that's a larger dog
3: (laughs) yeah When we got him i think i think he was only like 50 something pounds and he's 110 now wow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah he's still a puppy too i mean he's only i think he's only two we got him he was he was definitely younger than two um and we have like i said we've had him since february so he's still he's still a baby he's he's definitely grown since we've got him both obviously because he's now healthy again but um just his height is his girth he's just he's gotten to be a big boy yeah. and um i i I love big dogs, though those those are my favorite. I, Roxy was a boxer bull mastiff, and and she would sleep in the bed with me, and we'd cuddle. I mean, I I love the big dogs. They just they have my heart. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So I, um, in my research, I
1: found that you have tattoos of um, your fur babies.
3: Hmm. So I do. Um,
1: is that uh, like in memory of them or? Just every um, time you get one, you you get a tattoo too? Or
3: I guess you could say it, it can be in memory. Um, all of the ones that I have, except for, for Charlie, I have her paw, but she's still with us, have, have passed. Um, I basically decided to do it because I said, then wherever I go, my babies are with me. Um, and I, I like having them with me. Uh, but I, because of COVID, I haven't been able to go and get uh, either Paolo or Dax's paws. So that's something I still need to do. Um, I've been waiting for, for, you know, the restrictions and everything and and safety to kind of come back around. So um, I don't have theirs yet, but I'm, I, I plan on doing that within the next few months. Um, But yeah, when, when um, uh, I woke up one day and I said, you know what I want, I want all my kids paws on me. And so that's, I went out and I did it. <laughs> that's cool. I love my tattoos, though. I have I have far too many and not enough at the same time.
2: <laughs>
0: they
1: are um, addicting.
3: I was going oh, yeah. to say that's something you and Matt would have in common more.
0: Um, well, I, I don't yeah. have, like, hundreds.
3: So. It's it's funny because when I was younger, when I, when I had first gotten to California, I hated tattoos. I was like, I think it's disgusting. Why would you deface your body that way? That's ridiculous. Yeah. And my sister, of all people, she's, it's funny because she's much more proper than I am, I guess is a good way to put it. She decided she wanted to go get a tattoo. And I was like, I cannot believe you're going to do that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and she said, well, will you please just come with me? And I was like, oh, Fine. And, um, I called a friend of mine who actually had a tattoo and she's like, oh yeah, I went over to this place. And so we went and, uh, on, I'm watching her get it and I'm I'm doing the whole, look at the stuff on the wall and look at the books and this and that. And I was like, okay, well maybe I want one. (laughs) And (laughs) I ended up, I ended up getting a seahorse on my ankle, on the inside of my ankle, um, and I told him, I was like, I don't want any black ink. You can't use any black ink. And he looked at me like I had three heads, but he obliged. <laughs> and um, and he's like, why a seahorse? And I said, well, I said, I've always wanted to be a marine biologist. And I said, the seahorse is the only animal that I am aware of in the animal kingdom where the male has to carry the babies and give birth. <laughs> and that's my feminine. And I said, that's my feminist statement. And he, again, looked at me like I had three heads, but whatever. He gave me the tattoo and we're still friends today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious.
3: (laughs)
1: See, these are like all such great backstories too. I just knew it would be. Um, Well, and this next category of passion also, I I can't wait. I've really been curious about these backstories. So the paranormal, uh, Mm -hmm. you have an interest in that. Um, Mm -hmm. So... uh, Two apartments were haunted that you've lived in. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so, you know, I'm very curious about that. What happened?
3: Oh, what didn't happen? So, um, Ooh. yeah, uh, the, the biggest one um, was an apartment that I lived in. And funny enough, my girlfriend now lives in the same apartment. And when I was living in this apartment, we'll just call it apartment 206, when I was living in apartment 206, Um, She actually was living downstairs in 107. So we were just she was just right below me. Um, And we became very good friends. And and when I ended up moving out, she ended up moving up into that one because she had split up with her boyfriend and what have you. Um, But she she will still call me to this day and be like, well, this is what happened today. Well, this is what (laughs) happened today, you know. Um, And it's funny. But when I had first moved in, it started it was it was a one-bedroom loft so the downstairs was you know the kitchen the family room the bedroom and then there was just like a little loft upstairs that um you could really make it whatever you wanted it had a closet but um you know i just used it as a storage room honestly i had far too much crap and uh it was just i just kind of shoved it all up there and and hit it <laughs> and then i had a friend moved in with me and, and she lived up there for a little while but for the most part i didn't do much upstairs when i first moved in though I would hear stuff going on upstairs and it was an older building. So I, at first I just chalked it up to like, okay, well somebody next door is moving around, which is causing my upstairs to creak or, you know, you, you rationalize certain things that you hear, especially when it happens in the middle of the night. Sure. Um, I, uh, I had a couple of friends, like I said, stay with me for, you know, one for a couple of years, one for just a couple of months and they would say that they, you know, whenever they were upstairs, they felt like somebody was watching them or things would move. Like they'd put it down on their table. We'd leave and go get dinner, come back. And it was in a completely different spot. But again, you, you justify that by going, okay, well maybe I moved in and I don't remember, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, (laughs) so then we started to get to the point where everybody had moved out. I had a, a boyfriend live with me for some time and it was a very, tumultuous relationship it was it was not good and and when it it was a lot of negative energy in that apartment and when he left you could kind of feel um the energy change but before he left um he had actually moved upstairs and it got to the point where stuff was being thrown from upstairs to downstairs when he wasn't even there (laughs) like whatever was upstairs didn't want him there like stuff was literally being thrown from my my balcony from my loft, and um, then there was there was one time after he had he had left, and I had my dog and and my previous uh, cat, Minnie. Uh, we were in the bedroom, and the the bed was up against the wall. So, uh, to look down the hallway to get into the bedroom, I just have to kind of look to the left and down the hall. Um, I was sitting on the bed, and both the cat and the dog, at the same exact time, sat up. And like very slowly looked down the hallway, like they were looking at somebody that was walking down the hallway and it freaked me out. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? I was like, Roxy. And I'm touching her and she's not moving. She's not acknowledging me at all. And so I was like, oh, my God, do I really do? I want to look down the hallway. Do I not Do I want to look down the hallway? Do I not? And uh, and I did. I looked down the hallway and I didn't see anything. But I mean, I tell you what they sat and they stared down that hallway for a good minute, minute and a half. And then there was one time when um, I had a a girlfriend and her daughter, um, she had had her daughter very young, so they were very close in age, they were best friends. And um, they were over, we had we had gone out to dinner and and had some wine and we came back and I excused myself went to the restroom. And I just start hearing this screaming. And I come out my coffee table had been completely like what they said is it levitated and flipped over. All I know is I came out and the whole thing was upside down. Everything that had been on my coffee table was just thrown all over my apartment. It was absolutely crazy. Wow. Um, so I finally had a, a, psychic friend of mine come into my apartment and uh, she kind of gave me a lowdown. She said uh, the entity that's there, um, his name is Michael. and He's very protective of me. And whenever anything negative uh enters into my space and he doesn't like it, he lets it be known. And so that's what the stuff being thrown, that's what, you know, all of all of the the things that would happen um was him not approving of who I had in my house.
2: (laughs) Wow.
1: Wow.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So um so really, really I mean, and there's countless more. Those are just a lot of the ones that you could probably really visualize. Yeah. Um and so to this day, my my girlfriend Natalie still lives there, and she'll call me. She's like, "Well, you know what Michael did today?" And she'll <laughs> just tell me. And, and she she lives with her her boyfriend uh, in the apartment now, and she'll tell me she's like, "We had this this fight, and we're supposed to go to dinner, and I was just I didn't want to go to dinner. I was pissed. I you know, and I went to go put on my ring, and my rings that I had just left on the counter were gone. Couldn't find them." we were going to be late for our reservations. So I ended up having to leave without my rings. We come back. She's like, we searched everywhere. We come back from dinner. They're right back on the counter. Mm. And she's like, I mean, her her boyfriend looked right there. They were not there. They come home. They're right there. And she's like, how do you explain that? She's like, Michael didn't want me to go. He was pissed. I was like, I Uh, guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Because she she never leaves home without that ring. So it was, it's funny. And she's still,
1: yep. Absolutely, I'm. I, so have you have have you ever seen any um like, ghost or
3: paranormal? absolutely?
1: Oh, okay, so, oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, do they look like Casper or you know? So what does well, the yeah. ghost look like?
3: So I actually was spending some time on the Queen Mary. It was my first visit to the Queen Mary. I had never been. I didn't know much about its history. I mean, I knew that people said it was haunted, but I didn't really know much about anything else. I, you know, this was 2004 or 5, something like that. A lot of the, you know, the Googles and things that we use now and and utilize and go down rabbit holes and research stuff. that It wasn't that easy back then. Um, And I just didn't care because... I just thought I was going to the Queen Mary and I was excited. Who cares? Um, and so, uh, we had some, some dinner and some drinks and, and a group of us, um, and, uh, everybody but myself and my friend Jean had, had gone home or, or retired to their cabin. And, uh, Jean and I decided to kind of wander around the ship and look around and see what we could see. And, uh, Gene is a, he's a larger man. He's tall and he was a big guy, or is a big guy, I should say. He's still with us. Um, and uh, we were trying to get into uh, the nursery. And, um, and I, you know, I, I was doing some things I probably shouldn't have. I was, you know, trying to literally break into the nursery. And, um, <laughs> and Gene like taps me on the shoulder and he's like, uh Kristen and I was like no hold on I think I almost got and I was taking like I had the flip phone back then right and I was taking it and I was turning my flash on like you're going to take a picture I was trying to do that and taking pictures underneath the 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 door um the very bottom of the door and uh trying to see if I could see anything and and Gene literally he taps me and he said Kristen and I was like what and he just looks at me with this terror on his face and he's like Every hair on the back of my neck just stood up. And, and I was like, huh? And he goes, run. And he just takes off <laughs> down the hallway. Like, <laughs> here is this larger man just hoofing it down the hallway. And I was like, oh, God. So, of course, I don't even know what's going on. I just start running. It's just one of those, you know, reactions where you're like, I don't even want to find out what just scared him. I just want to run. I just want to remove myself from the situation. And so I'm I'm hauling butt after him. And I, I, I don't know if you've ever been on the Queen Mary or seen the Queen Mary, but these hallways, they look like they go on forever. And we're running and we're running. We're trying to get to the middle of the ship. And I turn around very briefly and I see a man chasing us. And he looks like I'm looking at any other person that you'd see in the grocery store. Um he had very angular features. He was a white gentleman. He had on this really cool uh like a grayish blue suit he had on a hat um and he had this look on his face which really kind of broke my heart it was this anger and sadness but it was it was like it was so deep you could just see it in his eyes and i remember i i saw him and i just turned back around and kept kept running by the time we got to the middle of the ship we stopped at the stairwell and i was like oh my god Gene, did you see him did you see him and I looked back down the hallway, and there was nobody there.
2: Mm. And
3: you know, needless to say, we were both pretty freaked out. Uh, we went up <laughs> to the, we went up to the main deck, and I was like, and by this time it's you, know, I don't know, twelve thirty or something, and and it was it was late. And I walk up to the front desk, and I was like, hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just saw this guy. <laughs> And, and she just kind of, she had this little smirk and she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You just met the man in the gray suit. I said, she's like, yeah, you just met the man in the gray suit. I said, so he's like a real thing. I'm not crazy. And she goes, well, (laughs) he, he was a real thing. He's, he's one of the, the spirits that haunts this ship. And I said, oh, (laughs) and that was to me, I mean, that was such a cool experience for me. Um, we've gone back several times and like tried to get into the rooms that are quote unquote the most haunted and revisited and gone down into the, we broke into an area and went down into the pool and i probably could have gotten arrested for that but you know um i i love it i love that kind of stuff and and my old house actually in Santa Clarita where i lived prior to new orleans um i had always had a feeling but it was like very positive like everybody that would walk into my house said wow it's such good energy in here and I worked really hard to kind of keep it that way um and and one night I uh I had Arlo cameras set up outside and I needed to replace the batteries and so I I had just left one um sitting on my on my uh like bar top uh went once I had replaced the batteries it was nighttime I didn't want to go back outside and and put it up I said I'll just do it in the morning and I left it there and throughout the night it kept going off Uh, and it's motion activated. Mm. So, uh, I, I went back and I looked and I didn't really see anything. So I was like, that's really interesting. Um, and my, I didn't have my, my dog had passed. Um, so it wasn't like the dog was down there, you know, doing maybe, maybe not. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I decided, I was like, you know, I'm going to, um, I'm going to leave it down there. And, and, you know, the next night I was like, let me, let me see if I can see anything. Well, when I went back through the footage, there were orbs everywhere. There were orbs just dancing around. And, and, you know, a lot of people like, Oh, it was dust. Well, dust doesn't really change direction purposely. Um, And, you know, there was some that were actually pulsating and vibrating. Um, There were some that actually would change color. Uh, There was, there was um, one evening I I left it down there for a few days because I just found it fascinating. And there was one evening where, I faced it more towards my stairs and I actually had forgotten it was there. And uh when I retired upstairs for the evening, uh the next morning I, I went and watched that footage and you literally see about six or seven orbs come from both different directions and follow me up the stairs.
0: Wow.
3: Wow. Yeah. That was pretty cool. You just
0: attract <laughs> you just attract that energy,
3: apparently. I do. Yeah. Some some people uh some people do, and and I happen to be one of them, apparently.
1: That's pretty cool. <laughs> and you don't mind it, um, you know. So maybe, maybe the fact that you're welcoming to it is a reason that, um, you know, like um, it might terrify some other people, and mm-hmm. um, like maybe that. they. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I, got... I don't know how I would react to, to seeing <laughs> those to be...
3: things. You have to be open to it. And, um, you know, uh, people who are just adamant that there's this is it. There's nothing else out there. You know, they're not going to be open minded enough to have the experience, nor would I think they'd actually enjoy it if they did. Right. Um, And, you know, I've met a lot of people who were very close minded and they hung around me long enough and experienced things and. Excuse me, saw things that they were like. Okay. Alright. You know what? There there might be something else going on. There might be something else out there. And um and I tell him, "Look, maybe I'm wrong. But if I'm wrong, you're not going to know until we're both dead and then neither one of us is going to care."
1: <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. what can you say to that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> we won't really know cuz we won't be here anymore. So, you know. <laughs> hmm.
1: Well, um just, I know because we have to start talking about your film, um, but there's one more thing I think is really important that struck me uh, about your passions, and that is um, being an advocate for lupus. Um, so uh, I, I think, the, so what is your motivation for um, lupus? Why lupus of all the,
3: the causes uh, that you could support? Well, I was actually diagnosed um, with uh, MCTD in 2010, which is an overlapping autoimmune disease uh, that includes lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and then two others um, that I can't pronounce, so I just don't ever try. (laughs) Um, But they all have very similar um, manifestations, and um, the one that everybody really uh, at least has heard of is lupus, so I, I usually just say I have lupus. Um, and when it took, um, about five or six doctors for me to finally get properly diagnosed. Um, I was in my late twenties when I was diagnosed and, um, people either didn't believe me that I, I had one doctor tell me that I just had woman problems mm-hmm. and I looked at him and I said, Oh, uh, you're about to have a woman problem. I'll show <laughs> you woman problems." <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and I <laughs> like, Ooh, <I'm, laughs> Mm, I was not happy with him. Um, and then, you know, there were other doctors who just no, didn't even take my blood. They just wanted to throw drugs at me. Um, and, and when I finally got diagnosed, it was, it was such a relief and I know how isolated I felt because nobody around me had gone through anything like that. Nobody really knew what it was. Um, and especially in, in Hollywood, People are um, very hesitant to be honest about anything that makes them less than perfect. And I don't like being one of those people. If if something that I've gone through can help somebody else, then I'm going to be honest about it. Then I'm going to put it out there because yeah. I wish people had done that for me. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've definitely gotten people saying, well, you shouldn't be talking about that because you're not going to get hired. OK, well, then I didn't want to work for them in the first place. Because if you're going to have that kind of mentality, we have nothing to talk about. Right. Um, and when I, it was probably two years after I got diagnosed, um, a friend of mine by the name of Bob Guinea, he uh, introduced me to a, another friend who actually worked with Lupus LA. And I said, you know, I'd really love to to meet everybody and, and go to one of the events and, and see what it's all about. And um, I ended up meeting with Adam the the founder and CEO and, and he's such a lovely, wonderful human being. And, um, I've been in, uh, ambas- a celebrity ambassador for Lupus LA ever since. And, um, it's, it's a wonderful organization that has countless resources for people, whether it's Lupus that you're dealing with or, or anything else. Um, and there it's, it's a big family and, you know, we, we all share and, and go through kind of all these obstacles together and, and COVID, COVID was a lot for, you know, people that are immunocompromised. And, um, when everybody started hoarding, uh, the hydroxychlorine or Plaquenil, uh, that's a drug that I'm on and, and I couldn't get it. And that was terrifying for me because I actually need it to, to survive every day. So, um, you know, it they were a beautiful resource for me, uh, going through that and, and, um, it's, it's a just a wonderful organization, and I'm, I'm very happy to uh, help them in any way I can.
1: Well, I'm glad that you have um, brought this topic up for our podcast so that hopefully um, it will reach more people and make them aware of, of the advocacy for lupus and other um, autoimmune disorders. So, um, you know, I, I think... Um, all of these causes and this passion that you have for them leads well into um, the cricket stance. Um, So let's talk about this film that you have out Um, the title. um, What's the significance of that?
3: Oh, that's a great question. So I wondered the same thing when I got the script. I'm like, this is a really interesting title. Um, And I got the script. I read the screenplay. And um, then I went and I I bought the book. It's it's based on a, a novel, and um, I fell in love with the book. I read it twice in about a week. Um, and there's one moment in the novel which I believe we put in the screen in the, in the in the screenplay as well, um, where it explains what uh, the title is all about. Um, there's a not to spoil, I don't. I don't really want to spoil right. anything. But there is a moment where my character Angie is um, with someone that she, you know, has has begun to to talk to, and um, it's just this beautiful, raw moment of connection and vulnerability, and um, the the soundtrack to that moment is the, the symphony of the crickets that are out there in that evening.
1: Which is beautiful, really. Um, so your character, Andy, is a lawyer. This is mm-hmm. a southern um, setting. Um, mm-hmm. So did you ever... So how did you um, prepare to play the role of of a lawyer and also a Southern lawyer? Because you really, in the movie, you have a a, a Southern accent, which you obviously don't have right now. So, uh, you know, how did you
3: prepare for that role? Um, I spoke at length with both the director, Veronica, and um, the author of the book, Debbie, um, Deborah. And I really got their perspectives on how they saw my character Angie and what um, they were looking for, for me to convey and, and bring to the screen. Um, and upon talking with Deborah, um, she asked me, she said, have you ever seen the movie Steel my And I said, uh, yeah, who hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, she said, well, not one specific person in that film, but just the idea of those women who they're very feminine, but they're still strong, but there's still these moments of vulnerability and, you know, um kind of just there's, there's a something, a je ne sais quoi, that, that embodies these women. And she said, just watch the film. And, and I think whatever you decide to pick up from that um, and, and bring, to Angie will be great. And I'm like, Oh, that's no pressure at all. Um, (laughs) And uh, so I, uh, I did. And, you know, I watched the film a few times and kind of wrote down some notes and kind of figured out what I, what I wanted to, to really bring to the character. And, um, and she had also said, you know, there's, there's some interesting accents in that film. And, you know, something in that vein would be great. And I was like, Okay, we'll see what I can do. (laughs) So, um, you know, the the thing about Angie is she grew up in the South, but she went away to college. And, you know, and then she comes back. And so it was um, one of those things that uh, it didn't have to be super thick and super, you know, molasses-y, if you will. Um, It could be a little bit more light and fluffy because she had spent so much time away at school. And, you know, whenever you – leave a location and you go somewhere else. You do, you pick up on stuff. I had, I was doing an interview yesterday and somebody said, Oh, you know, that little Southern twang that you got now. I'm like, Oh God, really? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been here that long, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, you just, you pick it up. You're, you're a product of your environment. And um, so I just, you know, I, I trusted that if I was doing something wrong, they would let me know and, and just kind of went for it. Um, Did you ever want to be a lawyer? I played one once in a short um, I always you know I I got asked this question not too long ago and and um, it was never something that I had actually really thought about I've, I've always been fascinated by investigation like investigative work and that kind of stuff or possibly working with the you know the the freedom project or something along those lines but um, I think being a lawyer and having somebody's life in your hands, you better be sure that they're, they're guilty or even vice versa are innocent because it's, it's a, it's a dangerous game to play. And, um, I don't know that I want all that pressure. Sure. I I can
1: see though. Um, like the, the things we talked about earlier about your own, you know, about you, um, like in the movie, the person that you were, um, always you know that was always in trouble and you were always like you know let's try to like
2: (laughs) give another (laughs)
1: chance let's find the good um yeah I, I imagine that you have lots of yourself that you could pull from to to understand that part of the character
3: oh absolutely absolutely I always try to see the good in everybody and I always give people probably one too many chances Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I do find myself, I think that's why I'm so fascinated by the criminal mind is because I'll watch somebody, you know, who's done these horrible things, but I'll listen to them speak and I'll listen to, you know, the issues that they dealt with growing up and I'll still have empathy. And when a lot of people, you know, well, no, you should just burn them at the stake. You walk them in a room, throw away the key and this and that, but you know, it's, it's, It's such a fascinating thing to me how somebody gets their their path, how somebody gets from point A to point B, the decisions that we make, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, what is nature, what is nurture, all of those things. I find it so, so very interesting.
1: Well, so as we talked about at the beginning um, of the podcast and then now incorporating it into the plot um, you know, there's the trunk of the letters and what um, the one character really thinks is just junk um, that kind of turns out to be, you know the piece that develops the plot for this. So um, mm-hmm. I, oh, I, I guess material things um you know versus like things that people have written about uh, that they the messages and letters things like that um as society i know that i saw one place where you were talking about that you like sending cards to people that you you Mm -hmm. are one of those that values um you know, writing a message yourself and not just sending a text or something that's so much um, we find ourselves doing now. Um, So in the movie, uh, were you surprised um, Well, when you were reading the novel even? um, Could you relate to your character, you know, wanting to embrace this trunk of... What the other character thought was nothing, basically.
3: Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I think that I've always been someone who uh, holds on to everything, you know, anything that has sentimental value. I mean, I could get rid of things that I go out and buy. I, I could get rid of them tomorrow. But anything that has sentimental value, I I hold on to it. I still have the cards, like the little notes that my mom would write me and put in my lunchbox when I was, you know, in second grade. Um, So I I definitely, definitely could relate to her and and the idea of how, look at this, you know, this was her, you know, this was her heart. This was, you know, things that she thought were really important and she held on to all these years and. You know, um, I, I absolutely uh, can relate to that. And I mean, I have a box like that for sure. And if something were to happen to me, I'm sure people would go through it and be like, what in the world is she holding <laughs> on to this for? <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I I thought that part of the story was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful.
1: So this message, I mean, was it hard because a lot of the things that um, you know are found in in the trunk, um, this uh, race relations. What was it a hard story to participate in? Because that part of American history is, uh, I mean, it is pretty horrific. So, um, what is it like to to deal with that? Um, in a sense of it being the past but you're in the present almost kind of it's playing out in real time because we don't want to give any spoilers away yeah
3: it's hard not to give any spoilers away Um, it you know what Uh, when I read it obviously it was hard to read it was it's important to have the conversations but a lot of people who don't agree with what happened don't agree with a lot of things that continue to happen. It's still hard to it, it's still hard to reconcile it in your brain. Um, and I know um, I had several long talks with my co-star uh, Maurice about a lot of the things that that we're kind of dancing around because we don't want to give too much away, but a lot about the, the racial issues from the past, the racial issues that are present today. um, And, you know, just being on that, that plantation, how that affected him, how, you know, he grew up in Augusta, Georgia and he comes, his lineage has, you know, he came from, from a lineage of, of slaves and, you know, how being now on property like this, where the slave quarters are still out back, you know, what that, that did to him emotionally. And there were a couple of times, you know, we all had to kind of give him a moment and, um, somebody like me will never understand what that's like. There, there's no way I possibly could. So therefore I don't think that I need to interject any of my opinions into it unless asked. Um, and you know, it, 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 it's a very heavy topic. It's a, it's a very, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, uh, it's, it's, we're still learning. We're still not where we need to be. Um, we still have a lot to do with regards to equality in, in a lot of different aspects. Um, and you know, it, it was interesting that we were filming this, in 2019 when a lot of new racial tensions were coming up and a lot of new issues were, were arising and, and new movements were happening. And, and, you know, it, it, it all kind of came to a head while we were filming and we all found that both interesting and, uh, cathartic in a way to be able to be telling this story while a lot of other things were going on. Um, but I, if if anything, I just really hope that people can watch this story and take away more of the love and let go of the hate.
1: And that would be wonderful um, if, if you could just accomplish that <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with with a movie. That I mean, I, I would think that would be just everything that you wanted. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, you know, if there was a trunk of things from 2019 to the present, maybe 50 years from now, someone finds, what do you think um, they would think about this time period? God, what a mess we
3: are. (laughs) I mean, we've got, we've got actors going into space. We've got, um, I mean, what is happening right now? I'm just, you know, self-driving cars and like people with, I just, the whole thing. It's just, I don't understand this world sometimes. Um, No, I, you know, I think we've made such leaps and bounds when it comes to technology, I think. uh, medicine and all kinds of things. But I also, I'm a firm believer in Pandora's box. You know, you open, once you open it, you can't put it all back together again. And I think that that there have been a lot of things that, that have happened in the recent past and are going to probably happen in the, in the near future that um, are both going to be great advances and uh, have some negative outcomes. And, um, you know, it. I, I think it's just like any other time period. We're evolving. Um, we're doing the best we can, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I, I just really hope that we continue to evolve in a positive direction. Um, and, uh, you know, we really have a lot of work to do with regards to get, being able to keep our planet to where we can live on it. Um, being able to uh, help each other. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I think, I think we need to, we need to work on, on love a lot at this point. Um, but who am I, you know, what do I
1: know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it might be your trunk that gets
1: open in 50 years. <laughs> you never know, Sarah. So, uh, let's hope so. Because you you like. They're filled with brighter things. Uh, So,
0: Matt, what do you think? Uh, It's a pretty interesting story, uh, or stories, I should say. Um, Right. You know, uh, I I know there's a lot of things that um, we didn't get to talk about that uh, I kind of wanted to, but uh, like Sons of Anarchy and Anger Management and things like that, some of the other projects that you've worked on, so I would like to invite you back again to talk to us. Uh, if you, I
3: would love that. Hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'll be here. Hopefully, I'll still be on the planet. So yeah, <laughs> I'd love to come back and talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love to. That would be wonderful.
0: Yeah, we can we can talk about some of the other things that you're interested in, and uh, you know, more of the things that you've already discussed. Uh, um, I know you, you know some of the uh animal uh things that you're involved in uh need to be mentioned and you know i know you have a couple projects coming up that uh you might want to talk about so uh we will do that whenever you have time for us um
3: that would be wonderful i would i would really enjoy that
0: All right. Great. So
3: you are quite fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) I have my moments. I don't know about all that, but I do have moments. (laughs)
0: Uh, So uh, I, I know uh, again, you know, we will have you back in the future. um, But uh, I I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, I do want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and, talking to us and giving us some insight into all the things that uh we've talked about it's been some really really cool stuff um
3: well thank you guys for having me i had a lot of fun i i just looked at the time i was like oops i took up a lot of their time too so i apologize but it was uh it was a lot of fun i had a great time
0: great great we'd love to hear that uh kat any last words
1: uh, well, coming from a Scorpio, uh, I don't know how we connect astrologically, but uh, <laughs> very yeah. well. My film is a Scorpio. <laughs> well, I <laughs> feel like the universe, you know, has um, has um, placed you for our guest today, and I I really appreciate you sharing all of the backstories that you have, and I especially appreciate you making the world a better place. Through all the advocacy and the caring that you that you do, so um. Thank you, thank you for that.
0: <laughs> all right. Absolutely.
3: Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, Kristen. Thank. All you. All
3: right, and uh, everyone go and
1: um, watch the cricket dance because there's really good stuff in there. Uh, that you know, people that love the romantic dramas, uh, they're just gonna fall in love with this. I hope
0: so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Alright, uh, so thanks again and uh, we will end this episode now. Uh, we hope to talk to y'all soon. Take care. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at, at com, or you can write to me at backstorysessions@gmail.com at com or matt at level11ventures.com Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.